As you know, uh, it's very visible during Advent. Halfway through each penitential season, there's a pink, pink Sunday. That really popped. A pink Sunday. In Lent, we, you know, we, or in Advent, we've got the candle. In Lent, we don't. But the priest is able to wear pink if he wishes. <laughs> this one does not wish. But, um, I mean, just imagine this big pink head with pink here. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, some guys can get away with it. I can't. Um, so I'm just going to stick with the purple. But pretend it's pink so that you're happier. Laetare Sunday means, if I remember my Latin correctly, it's a command form of praise. You praise. So the idea is halfway through each of our penitential seasons, we kind of lighten up a little bit. So if you've been going at it kind of heavy or hard, lighten up a little bit today. Kids, we put extra sugar in the donuts just for today. <laughs> okay, now somebody told me after the last Mass, well, your homily was great today. It was a little long, so I'll shorten it up a little bit for you. Of course, you have no reference, so maybe I won't. <laughs> I want to go through this scripture uh, sort of piece by piece, a little bit different than what I normally do. Now, so here we begin. Man born blind. Immediately, the... The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that he's being punished? So remember, the prevailing thought at the time was God blesses and God punishes. If you're righteous and good, he blesses you. If you are sinful, he curses you and punishes you. So if he was blind from birth, God must have been punishing him in some either pre-existent state or was giving him the punishment his parents deserved. It was a more primitive understanding of, of the operation of God's will. And so at the time, to try to explain how God was working and why bad things happened to good people, it was just easier to say God did everything, all right? And this is one of the things we, we have to always keep in mind looking at particularly the Old Testament and how they talk about the operation of God. It, it was still a pretty early in theological development and understanding of God's revelation. As you move further on in the Old Testament, you get the book of Job. And the whole point of the book of Job is bad things happening to a good man. And that wasn't supposed to happen, right? So already it's beginning to turn, right? The, the Jews are starting to understand that, okay, good things sometimes, or bad things happen to good people sometimes. How do we square this with our understanding of God? But there's still that sense operative in the culture, and Jesus, by his response, completely and definitively undoes this presupposition that if you're suffering in some way, particularly a physical malady or, or disease, God is not punishing you. It's not because God's punishing you. And I think even to this day, we'll struggle with that sometimes. Bad things happen to us, and we wonder, what is God doing? Or bad things happen to the world. What is God allowing? Remember, there's two different ways to think of God's will. That which he causes directly and that which he allows. Sovereign will, permissive will. He, he can cause, or he, you know, he can do what he wants, but he causes some things and he allows some things. I think the thing we really have difficulty with is what he allows. Why do you allow so much evil and sin to happen? We struggle with that. But when bad things happen to us, we ought not think, as Jesus says, that we're being punished. 
You see, they would have presumed that he's, so there's this man born blind and he's got to beg his entire life. Sit by the roadside begging for everything. Can't have a job, can't have a family, can't have, he just can't have a normal life. And not only can he not have it, but everybody around him would, would think he deserves it, which really even, you know, piles on the guilt. Not only, and he would think the same thing. So just imagine his relationship with God, presuming that he's getting what he deserved. His entire life is a punishment from God. Well, that's really to be in bondage. So Jesus right away says, no, it's not about sin. It's so that, the reason this man is suffering is so that God's glory, power, and goodness may be manifest. A totally different view of why we suffer, of why we have hardship. That it actually exists so that God may manifest his glory. So he tells the man, well, he makes clay, spits on the ground, makes clay, rubs it on his eyes, which is kind of gross. And, um, you know, why does God do that? Well, for some reason, he wants to use stuff to convey his grace. He did it, he did it then, and he does it now. Baptism, stuff, water, conveys grace. Eucharist, Bread and wine, stuff conveys grace. Marriage, the spouses, stuff, physical beings, conveying grace upon each other with marriage. Confirmation, chrism. Anointing, oil. Ordination, chrism. God uses stuff because he created it good to convey his grace. So he does it here. This is why he uses the, the clay. It's just how he works. And then the man goes and washes. And then he, he comes back to his, all of a sudden he shows up, he can see. And they're like, well, it must be some other guy because, no, no, it's me. It was me. And it was a miracle. What happened? So every, you can imagine the question, what happened? What happened? What happened? He's telling the story over and over. And then they take him to the Pharisees. And I'm obviously reading into this a little bit, but he's very, very short with his answer almost like he's tired of having to explain it. And uh, so they, they're inqui you know, inquiring. The inquisition begins. What happened? What happened? He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. I don't know what else to tell you. It's almost like that's kind of his disposition. I don't know what else to tell you. He told me what to do. I did it. I can see. Well, what do you think about the man? I think he's a prophet. And then the Pharisees betray their presupposition. And they say, you're trying to teach us about God, and yet you sinned from birth. You were born totally in sin, and you were trying to teach us, and they threw him out. They didn't like his answer. They didn't like what he thought about Jesus. And furthermore, they still have this idea that because he was suffering from blindness, he was born in sin because of it. In other words, he was being cursed. Right? They're a huge part of the problem. This idea of God, this rigorism of the Pharisees is a huge problem. Right? It's a huge problem for them. But it's also a huge problem for the people because they become a stumbling block for God's grace. So then Jesus goes back to him and they have that conversation, you know, 
do you believe in, in the Messiah? Who is he? It's me. And then the man believes in him. Now, look at the healing. So yes, he heals the man from his blindness. And on the face of it, that's just amazing already. That's just amazing. But that's not all he healed, right? This man has been his entire life just impoverished, begging. People assumed he was this grievous sinner being punished. His entire life is a punishment from God, not only uh, for himself, but this is what he's being told by everyone else. That's his existence. I am a punishment. So Jesus freeing him from his blindness also frees him from that poor understanding of his relationship. You are not a curse, and none of us are a curse. God has not cursed any of us from birth. Our lives are not a punishment from God. They are always gift. It's always gift. And what God does in the man then is he restores him uh, to society. He can now have a family. He can now have a, begin a career. He can, he can learn a trade. I mean, you know, the world is open to him, but that's just physically, emotionally, and spiritually now he is opened to receive God, to be able to worship him, to be able to be in relation, to understand that God loves him and is not cursing him. And furthermore, his blindness opens up an opportunity. So his suffering, his weakness, opens up an opportunity for God to manifest glory. It's really important that we see this. Now I'm going to say something politically incorrect, which I love to do. But it's not that bad. It's not horrible. But it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're going to sing next. This is Catholic doctrine through and through. It's not optional even to believe this, and I'll explain why. But I'm going to use this word on purpose because I want to get the point across. Every single human being is born defective. Every single human being is born defective. Now, the reason I'm using this language this way, and and we can use it uh, differently, we can say fallen nature, born with original sin, born with a uh, darkened intellect and a weakened will. Okay, fine, all that stuff, we're defective. Every single one of us. And not just, uh, you know, spiritually with, with original sin, we're all born with different defects, we just are. Yeah, physiologically, I mean, that's, that's the obvious thing. People are born with all sorts of, you know, issues all the time. It's really, really important for us in our culture to understand this and get this because the culture wants to say everybody is born perfect. You're just born the way you are, and that's fine. Well, that's not what God believes, and it's certainly not what Christians believe. If that were true, we would not need a Savior, if everybody's just fine from birth. The problem, part of the problem with the culture today is people believe they can define reality and nature for themselves, completely subjective. The subject determines reality. This is the great sin of Satan. It's the great sin that our ancestors committed. It is original sin to desire to put ourselves on the place of God to determine good and evil. 
That is why original sin was such a horrendous sin. It's not about the stupid fruit. That's allegorical. It represents something else. What does it represent? The envy, the desire to be like God, which is the sin that Satan committed and the sin he taught the human race. And this is why it was such a tremendous sin, particularly for beings that did not have a fallen nature. They did not have a fallen nature and they still committed that sin. Grievous indeed. In, and it's probably not just post-modernity, but certainly in post-modernity, this sin is being committed over and over and over. That the individual believes they can put themselves on the role, you know, as the role of God and determine for themselves good from evil. Nature, human nature, creation. That is not the creature's role. It is the creator's role. And so each one of us is born with defect. We just have it. And as we, as we grow older, hopefully we begin to see what those defects are. And this is what Jesus is getting at here when he says, I have come into the world for judgment so that those who do not see might see and those who do see might become blind. This is the whole, I've come for those in need of a physician, right? The, those who are well do not need a doctor, but the sick do. It's the same thing. If you understand your blindness, your need to be healed, you have room for God to heal you. If we think we're not blind, that we're well, that everything's fine, that we don't have some defects, there's no room for God to be our redeemer. We don't need him. And that's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You think you see everything. You think you got it all figured out. There's no space for God in your life. For those of you out there who are saying, well, Father, I don't have defects. Ask your wife. <laughs> Ask anyone who loves you. They will tell you. Every single one of us, me included, have defects. Every single one of us. But, and this is, right, I mean, so here it is, Laetaria Sunday, the pink Sunday. Jeez, Father, lighten up. What the heck? You just told us to lighten up. Where's the good news? <laughs> All right, I'm getting there. Here's the thrilling conclusion. Here's the good news. The good news is that what God wants to do is take those defects, take whatever it is, whether it's physical or emotional, psychological, uh, something maybe we grew up with that we're holding on to, even our sins. He wants to take evil itself, and sickness and illness is theologically considered evil and absence of good that ought to be present. So whether it's physical suffering or whatever it is, emotional or even our sinfulness, God wants to take that and redeem it. He wants to manifest his glory through that. And if we don't recognize our lack, if we don't recognize what we need, we can't let him, he, he doesn't have space to do what he does. He loves to bring great goodness out of evil. That's his deal. That's his thing. That's the cross. The greatest evil the world has ever known leads to Easter the greatest good the world has ever known. And so it's so important for us to just be okay with having defect. It's all right. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We all have it. Yet things that you've been carrying your whole life, you don't have to. 
God can redeem it. Even the physical illness, you might say, well, God isn't necessarily going to heal me. That's true, but he may manifest his glory through it if we let him. And this is the good news. This is the good news for today, that we are not left in sin. We are not you know, just relegated to the trash heap, that we are not worthless before God. It's actually the weakness that allows him to manifest greatness in us. And that's what he wants for us. The greatness that he has, he wants to give us, to restore us, to redeem us, to heal us, to truly make us great. That is what is in store for us in this life and in its perfection in the next. This is great news. This is a reason to eat more than one donut today. (laughs) Please stand.